Go ahead and get in your Bible to Ephesians 5. Happy Father's Day to uh, those here who are, are fathers. Ephesians 5. If you uh, have not done so, I uh, really need you to turn in those surveys and uh, just set them in a, in a pile uh, up here. And um, if you haven't done them, uh, bring them back tonight. I, I just won't open them this afternoon. And uh, it's just really, really good to have as many of those as, as possible. Also, too, re remember uh, that, that book, His Needs, Her Needs. Uh, there's a gift uh, of that book for every family here. And you can just grab that after uh, class, um, one per couple. I know most of you got them last week, but, uh, you know, pick one of those up. Uh, the book's not the Bible. <laughs> the Bible's the Bible. Uh, but I think it's a real helpful uh, relationship book. Uh, in particular, uh, last week when we, uh, you know, talked about expectations, uh, that book really, really is very helpful in that area because it helps you understand your spouse's perspective. And nearly always, it's not the same as ours. And uh, so I'm really glad you're here this morning. We're just on uh, week three, and uh, we have uh, uh, all kinds of different people here in different circumstances, people who are uh, planning to get married, people who've been married a long time, people uh, who uh, have just recently been married, all kinds of circumstances. And uh, normally I, I pull out of the, those surveys uh, how happy everybody is in their marriage and uh, how people viewed the marriage that they w grew up in, but I decided not to do that because uh, we didn't get that many surveys yet because you're holding on to them. And so that's why I sent the reminder this week. So please uh, uh, get those in uh, or bring them in uh, tonight. Uh, I don't like to get them one or two at a time. I, I like to have a big uh, glob of them so that uh, I'm not tempted to try to figure out who it is. So I just uh, put it in there uh, to try to just help you out in, in, in this class. But we do have one thing in common. Everybody here uh, wants to make their marriage better. Uh, in fact, lost people <laughs> want their marriage to be better. Uh, but we have the advantage. We have Christ in our life, and uh, uh, we have all that extra help. Uh, just a reminder, I mean, nearly 100% of people that walk down a marriage aisle, they love each other. Uh, they believe their marriage is going to last. And so since they tell us that 50% of marriages fail, it is obvious that it takes more than love and good intentions. And that's what we're talking about in this in, in this class, the different things that we do in that relationship to try to uh, make it better. Uh, our first week, if you remember, uh, we went back to the beginning and talked about the fact that God established the institution of marriage. And that matters a lot because what that means is that without God and the principles he established for marriage, we're never going to have all that the Creator intended marriage to be. By the way, if you've ever wondered why uh, some people with God in their lives have bad marriages and other people without God in their lives have good marriages, it's because people, whether God is in their life or not, who put the principles God designed for marriage in that relationship, that relationship works. You can have Christ as your Savior. You can be forgiven and on your way to heaven, but if you don't do the stuff the scriptures teach that make for a healthy marriage relationship, you'll just have a lousy marriage and die and go to heaven. Uh, we don't want that. Uh, we want uh, both things. And so uh, if you remember, who can tell me the two most basic uh, biblical foundational principles for marriage? 
What are they? Yeah, leave and cleave. Leave your father and mother. Uh, cleave unto your wife. That's the most basic principles. Last week, we talked about evaluating our expectations. Uh, because remember, our expectations, they have the power to make us either happy or unhappy with the same thing. And there's a lot of people here, and you need to set yourself free from the unhappiness you've brought in your life because you have unrealistic expectations for their marriage, for your spouse, for all kinds of things. And you need to set your spouse free as well from the unhappiness you bring in their life. Uh, realistic, proper expectations for marriage make a big difference. Uh, marriage was designed by God. I mean, most people uh, recognize this as a, as a magazine. Uh, anybody here ever use a magazine rolled up to uh, swat a bug? Uh, roll it up to, uh, not a thick one like this, but like maybe to help train a puppy? I mean, now you train your puppy with this, man, you might as well hit him in your hand because this is worse. Uh, but, but this, even though it's a magazine, you can use it as a bug swatter. You can use it as a, a puppy discipliner. But you know what? When it comes to swatting bugs, especially flies, this is a lot better. And even though this works to swap bugs, it does a lot more when you use it like its creator designed it to be used, which was to turn it one page at a time, consider the information and pictures on, on each page. And uh, our marriage is like that. You can have something you call a marriage. You may get some good function out of it. But until you decide to treat your marriage like our creator designed it to be handled, you are not going to get all the benefits that our God designed to get a marriage. Listen, everybody wants security, love, support, a place of respite from their home and from their marriage, acceptance. If you want those things, then we've got to build our marriages the way God designed them to be built. But before we answer questions that were turned in, uh, I want to just review uh, the same Nine things I just run by you as statements every week. Uh, number one, nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point. What's done is done. Number two, uh, all of us, all that we can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, it can change. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, you're not going to get out in a day. Uh, but by the grace of God and doing the right things, you can uh, get out. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. God is love. You may be sitting here and, and decide, you know what, I never really did love them. Or you may be sitting here deciding, I don't love them enough. Or you might sit here and decide, I don't love them anymore. Uh, but understand, because God is love, that regardless of you coming to that conclusion, you can love again. Uh, somebody said, I love being married. It's great to find the person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. Somebody said, my wife said that I never listened to her. Uh, at least I think that's what she said. Um, before marriage, a man declares that he would lay down his life to serve the woman he loves. And after marriage, he won't even turn off the TV to talk to her. Um, God is love. And you, you, there's hope. Always, when God is involved. Number six, no one's destined to repeat the home in, that you were raised in. If, it, if you were raised in a home where the marriage was bad, you can succeed. Uh, number seven, no one is assured to have a great marriage because your parents had one. You can fail. 
Uh, number eight, the marriage you're in right now is the marriage you're supposed to be working on. Number nine, the person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. I, I wish everybody would let those last two statements sink in because the devil has a heyday in people's minds and hearts telling them they married the wrong person and blah, 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 blah. You are married to the right person because you're married to them. That means with God's help it can work well. Some questions that were turned in before we get to our, our lesson, and these are all uh, related to the subjects from our first two weeks. We have a lot of other questions, but they're related to subjects that we'll get to later. Question one, how can we talk about and solve problems if I can't expect communication for fear of feminizing my, my husband? And uh, you misunderstood what I said. Uh, you will feminize your husband if you expect him to be in touch with his emotions and communicate his emotions like you do. Uh, but that's not what I said. I, I said uh, what I mean by all that is you should expect communication from your husband. But you need to expect him to communicate in a way he is able to communicate. We'll spend a whole week on, on good communication in marriage. What most people expect is they expect their spouse to communicate like they communicate, and then if that person doesn't communicate like that, then they assume they're not communicating, and that's just not true. Question number two, how do I get my spouse to be more attentive to me when it's not in their character? Well, the first thing you need to just be honest with about is why do you expect them to do anything that's not in their character? Uh, your expectations are, are putting you in bondage. Uh, if you want to help your spouse's character, well, pray for that. Keep them in places like biblical churches where their character is constantly challenged uh, as much as possible. Keep them around people with good character that might rub off on them. But in, in the end, why do you expect something from your spouse that they're incapable uh, of doing? Uh, l listen to me. When it comes to attention... Nobody gets the amount of attention they want from anybody but the dog. I mean, the dog is always glad to see you. The dog, no matter, I mean, you could have locked it in a cage for seven hours, and it'll lick your face. Uh, people are not like that. And so our, our expectations for attention are way, way, way out of whack, especially men. I am one, so I mean, I say that with personal authority. Um, <clears throat> uh, question number three, how do you ask your spouse why I'm the one who always kisses and tell them uh, that they love them first? Is that wrong? In, in nearly every relationship, uh, one person is nearly always the one who first uh, tells them they love them, first expresses affection. You know, a, a lot of times that's the product of, of somebody's personality and, 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 and disposition. Uh, why do you care that you always have to go first? Why can't you just be glad that affection gets expressed? Um, you know, do I think that in a, in a, in a perfect world it would be nice if... 50% of the time, one person initiated affection and expression of that. Yeah, but, but we don't live in that, you know. And so uh, just be glad love is expressed. And what I would say is that if your spouse uh, expresses their love, you certainly, you know, I love you too, uh, should always come out of your mouth. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's people here 
the phrase I love you doesn't come out of your mouth very much. It's almost always I love you too. All right, but it's good that it's expressed. Uh, question number four, is it appropriate to expect my spouse to spend less time with their family now that we're married? Yes, <laughs> that, that is a reasonable expectation. Uh, it is unreasonable, though, if you expect them to abandon their family for your marriage. Uh, it's just that behind our relationship with God, our marriage relationship should be the second most important relationship in our life, and, and we invest in it. Um, later on in the class we'll talk some more about some of those family things too question number five my marriage needs more quiet time for me and my spouse how do we discipline ourselves to spend time together Uh, first recognizing the problem that's a good start Uh, you don't fix anything that you don't recognize to be a problem and if you have younger children, uh, I would always recommend putting, putting them in bed at a reasonable hour. You know, I, I wouldn't keep younger children up maybe past 8 o'clock, 8.30 at the absolute latest. You know, that way you minimally get, you know, an hour or two with your spouse most evenings. Uh, listen, there, there's value in shared experience just watching, sitting on the couch watching the same television show together. I mean, I mean, that's way more valuable than sitting in opposite ends of the room, each of you on individual things in your phone. You, you know, there, there's value in spending time. I recommend uh, each couple. I, I think you should have a date every week, every single week. I don't think you have to spend a lot of money on it. I don't care if you go to the park and eat bologna sandwiches. Uh, but you need to make effort to spend time together. Uh, and that's very important, too, that you spend time and affection together at non-sexual times. It's very important for a healthy marriage. Uh, question number six, how do I lower my expectations for my spouse? Uh, how do you recognize having wrong expectations? Um, first off, just recognizing that you have a problem with expectations, that's a good start. Uh, because we don't fix anything, we don't define as a, as a problem. The first thing you've got to do is just be honest about where your spouse is. You know what? Uh, sometimes we expect communication from them verbally, and they're not really a good verbal communicator. Maybe they communicate non-verbally, and you need to be listening, or better yet, watching for the way they communicate. And so uh, get them from first being honest about wh- where they are. Uh, and, and some of the best relationship advice you will ever get is just get in a biblical church as much as possible. You know, people apart from God's word and exposure to people who handle their lives differently, they don't grow. See, you don't grow if you're not exposed to anything that challenges status quo. And so when you keep yourself in a biblical church and you allow yourself to be around people who handle things a little bit better, maybe they're a little farther along in life, maybe a little more mature. I mean, that's how you grow, and, and, and you will help uh, yourself and your spouse grow uh, that way. Um, question seven, our last question. How do I help my husband understand my emotional needs without pushing him to be the second woman in the house? Uh, f- first off, I don't believe any man ever understands the emotional needs of a woman. Um, I think most times that's pretty complicated. Most men, and I am one, we're very simple creatures. 
Uh, like I said when we started this uh, the first week, as you go through the creation week, the complexity of what God creates increases as you go along through the week. And the last thing he created was a woman. And remember, we don't come even from the same stuff. Animals and men come from dust. Uh, a woman came from man's rib. Uh, I don't believe you're ever going to be understood by your husband. But that's no excuse, guys, for not trying to understand. But how difficult it is depends upon how much you allow your emotions to control your life. And to be quite frank with you, I, I think some women don't make much effort to try to control their emotions. Just like I think some men don't make much effort to try to understand their wife. And so, um, you know, you basically, you will help your husband by just deciding, okay, he's not like me. And I need to do everything I can to not allow my emotions to rule my life. And by the way, some women do very well at that. And uh, listen, you just face the fact, most men are not very in touch with the whole emotional thing that's going on. Uh, maybe that's why you're there. Maybe God put him there to help bring some stability, and maybe he brought, put you there to help put some heart <laughs> into what's going on. Re remember, our goal is never to, to think uh, alike. Uh, our goal is to think together uh, because there's something that we each bring to this that makes it better. Uh, and so uh, as we move on in, in, in laying down biblical principles for a healthy marriage, uh, the next place I want to consider is, is the role God designed in marriage. Uh, people have turned in all kinds of questions about that. And I, I remember God designed marriage and God designed us. And while none of us are cookie cutter uh, uh, duplicates of the people around us, God did design us. And so when we find and fill the role we were designed to fulfill, it'll not only make a better marriage, it'll make us more fulfilled as, as people. Uh, and if we don't understand, uh, later on in this series, we're going to spend three weeks on how to disagree well. But if we don't uh, try to understand each other and try to fill these roles in, in our house, you know, we're going to have a lot of extra disagreements. Every relationship has disagreements. There's no way around it. But these biblical roles for both men and women are demanding. Uh, the good news is that God gave us 100% control over who we choose. I mean, have you ever thought about that? God teaches how parents interact with children, but he chose them. He chose your parents. He chose your kids. Uh, when it comes to our spouse, God teaches us how to interact how husbands and wives should interact, but then he says to you, you know what, you pick the person that you want to interact in that manner with. He doesn't say you interact however you want. He didn't do that. He designed each of us uh, for a role. And so uh, I don't know of anything probably that is more maligned, uh, more ignored in the church, and more misunderstood than God's plan for the roles of husbands and wives in a marriage. Now, if I had my way, and, and I don't, uh, uh, I would have everybody that's here today be here all of the next three weeks because today we're going to just establish a biblical foundation, and then the next uh, two weeks we're going to make some real practical applications of, of this and, and how this works out in, in, our, in our real lives and in, in homes. You should be in Ephesians chapter 5. 
in um, verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21, says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hateth his own flesh. Well, that's quite a statement right there in, in, in itself. No man doesn't love himself. Uh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, uh, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. And we'll, we'll stop there. Uh, there are a lot of things from this particular section of the scripture uh, we can learn if we're looking to learn from our creator uh, and the designer and author of the institution of marriage. Uh, the same God who saves people through Jesus uh, designed a plan for the home. Now, I don't know why, but generally speaking, people have a lot less trouble uh, trusting Jesus to save them than they do trusting God to know what he's doing when he designed our roles in the home. He is the author of both. Uh, notice the relationship between a husband and wife is supposed to be a picture of the relationship of Christ in the church. Verse 31 and 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. But what an incredible privilege and responsibility husbands and wives have to picture this relationship with Jesus and his church in front of our children. You know, maybe the worst thing about a bad marriage is not the pain it causes the man and the woman and the security they lose. Maybe the worst thing about a bad marriage is it takes away this picture from the children that are involved. And maybe the worst thing about a bad marriage is that it gives an inaccurate picture of what it means for a loving wife to be committed like the church is to Christ or a loving husband to unconditionally love his wife. You know, maybe people don't love and respect the church as much as they should because they never saw a father unconditionally love his own wife. Maybe church members don't submit themselves to Christ as they ought because they never saw a mom submit herself to her own husband as she should. You know, in some ways, while I realize that this is some of the most difficult teaching in the New Testament, you know what? It is also some of the most sacred and important things in all the Bible. But unfortunately, I think as probably people here know, um, most of this instruction is by and large just ignored. Uh, many, many years ago, um, when I was a youth leader uh, in you know, we had teenagers in Corrine High School. They had a world religions class, and 
the students, uh, you know, got opportunity to uh, invite, uh, you know, outside speakers, you know, from their religion, so to speak. And um, I got to go in and speak there several times. And so I uh, had built this lesson of, you know, why I'm a, a Bible-believing Christian. And, and, and taught uh, that lesson to them and then opened it up for uh, questions and answers. And the students said, ask a couple of questions. And then the teacher uh, basically said, you know what, I, I just I can't go for this Bible stuff because, you know, it, it teaches that, you know, uh, women should submit to men. And the Bible uh, doesn't teach that. It, it teaches that wives should, should submit themselves to their own husbands. Um, but I said will you uh, submit to the principal of the school, right? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, that is one equal submitting to another equal to fulfill a role they agreed to fill. It's not an inferior submitting to a superior, right? And there, there's no argument to that, but she kind of, her demeanor changed. Uh, I later learned that she had had a, a bad marriage uh, earlier with a, a man that was, a, you know, uh, not a good man. And, you know... She said, well, still, I, I, I just, I, it just won't work. I, I, I just don't like it. I, I said, you know, I said, God designed that to be a two-way street. A wife submits herself to her husband, and a husband unconditionally loves her wife. And I said to her, I said, you know, you might not find that's too bad if you really had a husband who was just unconditionally loving you. And obviously there's nothing she could say to that either. Uh, God designed these roles. And we struggle with them because we don't want to try them. And I will tell you, there is probably few things more difficult than a leader who's trying to unconditionally love a follower who makes no effort to follow their leadership. Just like it is probably nothing or few things more difficult than a follower who tries to submit themselves to a leader who is selfish and prideful and never looking out for that person's good. You know, God designed these roles to be meshed together. He didn't just teach one role here. He taught them both. Notice he begins with mutual submission in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in, in the fear of God. Uh, there's some ways where every husband here should submit yourself to your wife. Uh, we'll talk about this in more detail uh, later on in a couple of other areas. Uh, like, for instance, in our, in our house, uh, Sharon, if, if she wants to decorate this or paint that or buy this for our yard or, or do this to the house, fine. Uh, i got to tell you, some of the times, some of the things she says, you know, I want to paint our door. What's the color of our door right now? It's a combination of lime green yellow. She says, hey, what do you think if I paint our door like that? Mm, sounds great, dear. <laughs> you, you know what? And, and I can't see it. I, I, I never see it. I, I'm not gifted like that. But you know what? They, they basically mostly turn out. And, and so I, I just submit to what, what, what she, she wants and all that. Uh, our groceries. Uh, you know, she's always bought those. Now, me personally, I, I wish she was a coupon shopper, uh, but she never coupon shops. But you know what? Uh, I submit to her shopping in, in her manner, and I try to keep my mouth shut about it, and mostly do, not completely, uh, but mostly do. I, I submit 
to that. You know what? Some of you guys here, uh, you're terrible with money. And your wife is good. She's a good record keeper. She's careful. She's prudent. And you know what? You would be wise as a leader in your house to put her in charge of that and submit to her on that. Mutual submission. Uh, Number two. Uh, wives should submit to their own husbands as unto Christ and reverence him. Notice in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. As you've heard me say so many times, it has nothing to do with the relationship of women in general to men. Nothing whatsoever. Notice the other term he uses in verse 33. Uh, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. And those are the two words that characterize this in a wife's role in a marriage relationship, submit and reverence. We may not like this, but wherever in the New Testament God teaches leaders and followers, he always teaches the followers first. You say, I don't like that. Take it up with the, with the author of the book. You can find that done that way all through uh, the New Testament. Uh, now, there will be times when your husband doesn't deserve this. <laughs> and you literally will only do this because of your faith in Christ. By the way, this has nothing to do with you submitting to something that's immoral or illegal. Nothing whatsoever. All right. If you, if submission means disobeying God, uh, that's not submission. All right. God gave a husband authority. He did not give a husband authority to disobey God. All right. Um, more than anything, whether you like it or not, a man is so constructed that he wants to be followed and looked up to more than anything by his own wife. Most men really want admiration from their wife. Here's the thing. Most of the time we got quite a measure of that when we were dating, but then they got to know us better. Really. But we're built to want that and need that. And when a man doesn't get it from his wife, it makes it easier for him to excuse getting it from some other woman. More than any other source, a husband needs to believe his own wife believes in him and looks up to him. And every husband will be dissatisfied and he will lack a healthy self-confidence if, if, if his wife refuses to give that to him. By the way, this is an incredibly high standard that a wife submit herself to her husband as the church submits itself to Christ. And it's in a high standard because it's not contingent on his love for you. Uh, the scriptures don't say do this if he loves you like he should. Someone needs to be first in their role and keep it up because it's right for Christ's sake. By the way, someone is always first. Whenever you guys met, someone loved the other one first. And you loved them, and you kept loving them, hoping that they would decide to love you back. I mean, almost never does that occur in the same day. And, and these roles are like that. Someone has to decide to be first. It's very easy to excuse your lack of cooperation and say, well, if he loved me right, then I would submit. Um, but that's not what it says. I, I wish I could get this principle deeply in everyone's heart and mind when it comes to all of our relationship issues, not just this one. Someone always has to be first in doing what's right. Uh, 
fact is, you picked him. And listen to me, you have the power to break him as a man. Uh, I will just say, uh, I am a better man and a better leader today because of my wife. Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you that. You know what? You can't make him fulfill his potential. But he's got to choose to do that. But you can keep him from it. It's kind of an interesting observation. We don't have time to turn there, but if you take notes, write down Proverbs 31, 23. Because in Proverbs 31, uh, that whole last half of that chapter is about the virtuous woman. And it's interesting to me, in the midst of all of these qualities of the virtuous woman, here's what it says in verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. In those days, the judges sat at the gates to give a judgment and justice to people who came to the city for it. It's interesting that in the midst of the section of the virtuous woman, her husband is in the gates. Why? Because she caused him to rise higher in life than he would have ever risen without him. That's an awesome thing. This has nothing to do with the relationship of men with women in general. Uh, this is a wife submitting to her own husband. By the way, the best boss I ever had in my life was a woman. Say, so what did you do? I followed her authority. And no issues with it whatsoever. None. Now, listen, you're, you're not going to go very far before you find uh, a wife who's much smarter than her husband, before you find a wife that's more spiritually minded than her husband, when you find a wife who's more in touch with the world than her husband is. But, but God taught us for a wife to have this order in the home, and it's an important picture. One equal choosing to submit to another equal in a role assigned by God. And his pictures, Christ, and his church. Now, this is a really, really high standard. But it is not as high as God's standard for the husband as the leader in the home. Every wife is a picture of a sinful group of people following a perfect Savior. Every wife fails in this from time to time. But I hope it's your sincere heart's desire and effort to fill this role as a wife. Notice, number three, husbands should love their wife as Christ loved the church. Verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. By the way, God never instructs followers without also instructing leaders. Though he does instruct followers first. Understand our creator and our God, our Savior, he's not a one-way God. He doesn't just give followers things and leaders nothing. He doesn't just give leaders responsibilities and, and followers nothing. Uh, God is a two-way God. He has things for both. In fact, God expects more from husbands and wives. You'll find this throughout the entire New Testament. God always expects more from leaders and followers. You can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when he gives qualifications for pastors and for deacons. You can find it in Acts chapter 6 when they're selecting men to be uh, in charge of the food distribution to the widows. Seven qualifications for those men. You'll find it in Titus chapter 2, qualifications for older women to be able to teach younger women. It is a New Testament principle throughout the New Testament. God expects more from leaders than he ever does from followers. Brother, there will be times when your wife doesn't deserve unconditional love. 
And you should love her unconditionally for Christ's sake. Not because she deserves it. Listen, more than anything, women are in general constructed that she wants to be loved and made to feel special by her own husband. Every woman wants affection and attention at non-sexual times. That's very important in a healthy relationship. See, when a woman doesn't get this affection and attention and love from her husband, it's much easier for her to excuse going somewhere else to get it from another man. See, more than any other source, a wife needs to believe her own husband loves her and that she is more special to him than any other woman in the world. Did you hear that? More special than your mother? More special than any other woman you you can name that you admire in your life. Your wife needs to feel like she's more special to you than any other woman. And a wife will always be dissatisfied and lack healthy self-confidence if her husband refuses to sincerely try to unconditionally love her. It's an incredibly high standard. Because your love for her is not conditioned on her submission to you. And I say again, someone must be first. Someone must be first to decide, I'm going to fill my role in this, in this relationship for Christ's sake, whether they respond or not. Someone must be first. And it's easy to excuse our lack of effort and choice to unconditionally love our wife because she doesn't do this, she doesn't submit to me, she, doesn't, she does this. No. Husbands... Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I, I wish I could get this into every heart and mind, this whole idea that in any relationship situation, somebody has to be first in doing what's right and just do it and keep doing it for Christ's sake. fact of the matter is, brother, you picked her, and you have the power to lift her up or break her down as a woman in how you handle this. Again, this has nothing to do with the relationship of men and women in general. This is a husband and his own wife. Listen, you can think every other woman in the world is just, man, I just can't stand women. That's fine. But you better unconditionally love your wife. Not a superior loving an inferior. One equal choosing to love another equal to fulfill a role assigned by God. This standard... While the standard for a wife to submit herself to her own husband as a, a church submits itself to Christ, while that's a high standard, this is the picture this is, is a perfect Savior loving an imperfect group of people. And that's what we're supposed to offer. Your children will never respect their father and mother like they should if they don't see a father and mother fulfilling these roles. They will excuse their behavior because of the way you handle yourself. This security, love, acceptance of a home God intended, he intended them to come from a husband and wife both fulfilling these roles. Nobody does this perfectly, but there's a big difference in sincerely trying to fulfill them and failing on caring little about whether you do this or not. 
And I remind you, whether you do this or not, it depends on you, not your spouse. Because this process always begins with one person. Next week, we'll begin talking about some practical aspects of this and decision-making. What do I do if my spouse refuses to fill the role? What should I do if I've failed in this for many years? What does it mean to submit? What does it mean to love? How do I handle this on, on a practical basis? Everybody, please just write something on that little paper and just turn it in up here. If you have a question, write that. If you don't have a question, make some smart aleck remark. Uh, or put some X or some scribbles and just fold it in half and stick it up here. And don't forget to turn in your surveys. God bless you. You're dismissed.